Welcome everyone to another edition of Be Heard Talk. Happy Sunday to all of those who are watching us live from your computers, from the streams, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Thank you so much. So Be Heard Talk is an award-winning show that adds a taste of trap music, a side of Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic Black millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and we will read them throughout the show. And for the next several weeks, we've partnered with Black Enterprise as our official media sponsor as we unpack the 2020 election and its impact on the Black community. My name is Selena Hill. I'm the digital editor at Black Enterprise and the founder of Be Heard Talk. And I'm super excited to be here with you all today to talk about Black men and the 2020 election with our very special guest, Kwame Jackson, who is a political commentator, entrepreneur, and the branding guru at HBCU Heroes. And now some of you may actually rep, uh, recognize Kwame from NBC's The Apprentice. But before we get to Kwame, let me introduce my co-host, starting with Stanley Fritz. Hey, what's going on, Ro? This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineer, who doesn't have to manage a PC once and twos anymore because Selena is a StreamYard mommy. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Snapchat at Darkskin Swindle. You can't find my barber, though, because he went to the yard two weeks ago, and I'm still waiting for him to come back so I can get a Dark Caesar with a half moon part. If you're wondering what I do for my day job, well, I'm the New York State Political Director for Citizen Action of New York. And when I'm not working, I'm usually talking sassy to Selena behind the scenes. <laughs> Speaking of sassy, we also have Tammy David, our co-host here as well. Hey, Tammy. Hey, everyone. Hey, Selena. My name is Tammy David, and I'm known here at Be Heard Talk as your problematic fave. Today, I'm coming for ain't-ish rich people and a huge demographic of celebrities who think it's okay that because they have money to buy, claim, and co-opt ideas typically created by Black women, bloop, for everyone's well-being, uh, that they can just go ahead and do that. Um, can we please give proper credit to those who came before us and taught us Thinking about you, Sean Combs. Anyway, uh, if you guys want to sip haterade with me online, follow me at I am Tammy David on whatever dark corner of the internet you are perusing. Let's check in now with our featured guest today, Kwame Jackson. Yo, what's good, my man? Let these fine people know a little bit about yourself. I am so excited. I think you're on mute. Okay, let me. Hold on. Almost. Okay, there we go, Kwame. How's it going with the good lighting? I'm good. I'm good. That's a little LA sunshine coming through the window. But with all those fancy intros, I feel like I need to have like a rap <laughs> intro. Like, my name is Kwame, and I'm here to say I'm going to talk <laughs> politics today. Something oh. like that. You know, it's like it's like old school rap intros over here. So I appreciate y'all having me. No, absolutely, Kwame. We're super excited to have you for the entire show. I'm going to throw it back to my co-host, Tammy David, who's going to kick us off with the news roundup. Finally, my favorite part of the show, where we discuss this week's loudest news stories that made you realize you need to read more, do more, and appreciate the people in your life that aren't conspiracy theories. This week on the News Roundup, we're talking black money backing black politics, explaining why 4chan losers who think Trump is God are in the news, and we're giving some love to the movement sweeping Nigeria. For more info on these stories and to suggest what we should talk about next week, follow and DM us at Be Heard Talk across all social media platforms. So let's start this off with a moment of pride. Bump the platinum plan and whatever hot mess Ice Cube and Trump are talking about. Diddy is back in the headlines for his entrepreneurial finesse, this time for using financial power to back a Black agenda founded and run by Black political leaders across the U.S. To clarify, the media is reporting that Diddy has launched a political party, but he is actually a financial backer of Our Black Party, a party created to prioritize the needs of Black Americans and securing the Black vote. 
Two weeks ago, Selena and Stanley sat down with founders of the party, Dr. Wes Bellamy and Candace Hollingsworth, to learn more about their political goals, especially in this critical cycle. Selena, can you play that throwback? Dr. Wes, tell us what are some of the short-term and long-term goals of our Black Party? Yeah, sure. So our Black Party, as Candace alluded to, we're focused on making sure that the needs of Black people are met and they're centered as a whole. We have an array of different goals. So when we're looking at long-term goals, we're looking to bring forth a thousand new Black elected officials by the year 2024. And when we say a thousand new Black elected officials, we mean a thousand new Black elected officials who are committed to ensuring that Black folk have equity. Because we know, and as we've seen over recent weeks and just over time as a whole, all skin folk ain't kin folk. So we want to ensure that Black folk are represented, not only on the local level, on the statewide level, but also on the federal level. We are committed to ensuring that there's a sense of political training. So whether that's like a politics one-on-one to ensuring that everybody, whether you're an elected official, you understand how to advocate for policies that are advantageous for black folk. Whether you're thinking about running for office, we wanna make sure that you understand the do's and don'ts. And then if you don't have any um, ideology or, or understanding of what politics is currently like, we wanna make sure that you're, uh, you understand that as well. And then in addition to that, when we look at across all 50 states, we have a goal of ensuring that every state has a chief equity officer that serves in the governor's cabinet. And that individual will have uh, power and authority to, to ensure that state laws are being passed through what we call the equity lens. And then also we're looking at on, loca on the local level, we want to create commissions to ensure that African-Americans, the needs of African-Americans and black folk as a whole are met. So, I mean, we have, we have tons of goals and different initiatives. You can find more about what we're looking to do on www.ourblackparty.org. Words. So their website simply states that they will power the Black political agenda by developing a coalition of people and orgs committed to building Black political power. They fiercely advocate for radical change and seek to dramatically improve the quality of life for Black people in America. Selena, how does Diddy's financial backing and uh, public involvement amplify their movement? Um, yeah, I just want to say, first of all, kudos to Pete Diddy for, number one, backing such a radical, unapologetic movement that is, again, all about pushing a radical Black agenda. Their words, not mine. It was a pleasure to speak to Dr. Wes Bellamy and uh, Mayor Candace Hollingsworth a few weeks ago, and they gave us a breakdown. And this party, again, it's geared towards making sure our voices are centered and that we own our own politics. Now, to get to your question with Diddy and the backing, Number one, the fact that we have uh, Pete Diddy, who is nearly a billionaire, putting his resources and his platform behind this party, it just it's just going to push this agenda even more so. Look, the systems are broken. I'm here for trying something new. Like I told the founders when they were on Be Her Talk a few weeks ago, let's do it. We need all the backing, financial, uh, and, and all any type of support that we can get to really power this movement. Thank you so much, Selena. Kwame, I know that you yourself are an entrepreneur, so you know how far funding goes. How do you see this party now gaining traction with Diddy's involvement? And do you think that there might be any influence to this election cycle? Yeah, I think we're all pulling in the same boat. And I think P. Diddy being involved in this initiative is the gas that puts the, the, the car in motion. And that gives us the ability to have the velocity, the platform, the visibility to take this Our Black Party initiative to the next level. You know, unfortunately, like, you know, many people in America, we are enamored with celebrity. We are enamored with people with, you know, lots of followers and Instagram uh, mojo. And P. Diddy brings that to this, this particular initiative. And I think giving that visibility is a great thing, but also giving, like you said, the financial resources to make this successful is, is really part of the agenda. P. Diddy has been long involved in these types of issues, whether it was vote or die um, 10, 12, 15 years ago, or rock the vote. P. Diddy's always been somebody I think has been out in front of these issues. And I think him partnering with this great initiative is a wonderful thing. So I, I say hats off to Diddy. I really appreciate that analysis. For those of you who might not be exactly sure how political parties work, they're basically a way to band together resources and like-minded individuals in order to pursue political goals. 
So there's been a lot of talk lately about what the Black agenda is and how Black people can get their voices heard. And our Black party has actively banded together powerful minds and political players in order to progress that nationally and locally, like Dr. Bellamy said. Um, Tammy, we are getting a lot of comments. Again, shout out to all those who are watching us in all streams. We got a comment on YouTube from Big Homie. He says, Pete, is supposed to be Diddy, doesn't care about black folks. He only wants to sell his gangster music and get black folks drunk. Look, I love P. Diddy. I listen to P. Diddy. It is far from gangster music. That's I would I uh, encourage you to actually do some research. And honestly, Diddy's putting his money where his mouth is. Kwame, did you want to respond to Big Homie? Yeah, Big Homie, I think he's misguided. Um, I think that right now you got to focus on the fact that P. Diddy, like you said, is giving his resources. He's giving his platform. His music and the bling era is nothing near gangster in terms of just been around the world and all the stuff with with Biggie, I mean, that's not gangster music at all. So I just think there's a little bit of hate in that comment, but um, I'll move past. And you know what? What we're not gonna do is shame people for living their lives, okay? Duality of man. Diddy is allowed to be lit, okay? That's and right. intelligent and progressive. So big ups to Diddy for his efforts with our black party. Uh, next, I want to talk to y'all about the rise of another kind of hater, which is the fascist kind that really scares us. So Trump's blood complex is a well-known problem for a lot of Americans, including those of us on this show. But as of Thursday's town hall, it has become a center issue in this election cycle. When asked if he would completely disavow QAnon and reject its followers' baseless belief that he is a savior against Democrats running a, quote, satanic pedophile ring, he dodged the question. For those of you who are now hearing about this right-wing dumpster fire, QAnon is a virtual cult that began in late 2017. The most basic belief casts Trump as the hero in a fight against the deep state of democratic politicians and celebrities who abuse children. It features an anonymous government insider called Q, hence the name QAnon, who shares secret information about that fight via cryptic online posts. Now, Trump claimed he didn't know anything about the theory, but then praised their work against pedophilia and refused to say that the conspiracy theory was false. Now, they fancy themselves a vigilante group. However, as they've been growing, they've hinted their presence in Trump's election and continue to spread fascist and even violent beliefs. Starting on 4chan, which is a really gross incel forum online, led by honestly white male conspiracy theorists. Uh, it started small, but is now having a huge online following. While there aren't solid estimates on how many followers they have online, last year they found a total of 12.8 million interactions online. So I wanna ask, Selena, do you think that their increased visibility helps or harms their cause? Because they now have a national spotlight. Look, I wanna say this about this conspiracy group. It's so funny because I actually came across people, loved ones who were following it. And I would hear them say really bizarre things and, you know, about Joe Budden, I mean, Joe Budden, Joe Biden, you know, being a little too touchy-feely with children. And and I we all know Joe, you know, has his way with his hands, but I never accused him of being a pedophile. And I just heard them say, keep saying this, like, you know, there's some people, there's some groups out there that, you know, are praising the devil and they're, you know, part of this Illuminati network and all this stuff. And this just goes to say that I had no idea there were millions of people who think like this. I thought it was just some of the crazy, you know, members of the family that said stuff like this. No, this is a far, this is a far right leaning group that not only is spreading these bizarre theories, but they feel empowered by President Trump. I was watching Trump's town hall live on Thursday. He refused to denounce this group. In fact, he said, oh, they believe in pet, they, they're against pedophilia. That's a good thing. And I'm just like, and not only did he say that, but he's been tweeting out their, some of their, their, their far-fetched stuff. This is dangerous. You're the president of the United States, not some crazy uncle just saying things. Like, look, leave the crazies 
to us and our family. You are supposed to be running a country. So that's pretty much how I feel about it. Stanley, I know you're well-versed in a lot of different policies that might be popping up in the country at this time. Just how new is QAnon and do they have any political influence? Yeah, they have political influence because Donald Trump listens to them and believes them. And a lot of people on the right do as well. They're not, I mean, they're not as young as people think. This has been kind of like conversations happening in 4chan and Reddit chats for years. It just like rose to prominence when Trump ran for president because it was originally used, it was amplified originally um, so that we could cause more confusion during the 2016 election. Obviously, know that we know that everything QAnon is talking about is false. For example, they believe that on the 18th, John F. Kennedy Jr., who is dead, is going to come out of hiding and then take jump on a ticket with Donald Trump as his vice president and replace Mike Pence. So QAnon is a joke, but it's also a very dangerous joke. We know there was one man who showed up to a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. in 2017 with an automatic rifle and demanded to see the basement because he thought Hillary Clinton was down there having sex with children. You, you know, you know, when you get people, when you get white supremacists and fascists who are in office and they start confusing the news and and you're not sure what's true or not, this is how things like QAnon survive. Crazy Entity also says it's not just the far right. So we're seeing this type of sentiment from all sides of the political spectrum. Kwame, do we really have something to fear if it's not just far right people spouting these theories? You know, there's this saying that a lie travels around the world before the truth can get out of bed. And it's so true. If you think about how this Russian disinformation, uh, the fact that Facebook has pulled QAnon and all of its sightings from the platform, how dangerous it is. In 2016, I went on CNN with Don Lemon and I said specifically that Trump's rhetoric was creating a toxic ecosystem that was going to create the next Dylan Roof. This was before Charlottesville. This was before the synagogue shootings. This is before all these incidents that have happened over and over again. And what happens is that toxic ecosystem and someone spreading these kinds of lies and disinformation to people only serves as fuel for the fire for people who are already misinformed, who are already on the line in terms of action, who are looking to people like a Tim McVeigh to say, you know, I'm going to start the next race war. All those things are not hyperbolic and people are already on edge. And when you hear it from the largest platform in the world that it's OK to proceed and it's OK to um, persecute people in this manner, then some people will act. And we're going to continue to see that kind of violence, that kind of, um, you know, direct action towards people unless that tone and that ecosystem is changed in terms of the echo chamber of what people are hearing, whether it's false or not. As long as it's amplified, it's dangerous. I just want to double down on some comments that we're receiving from social media. Uh, Raheem Swan comments, inspect what you expect. Don't accept information from the web that you don't verify from reputable and trusted sources. And he says that this type of chatter is meant to distract. Very good and solid points, Raheem. Um, Terrell Hall also left a comment via LinkedIn. He says he's dangerous, referring to Trump. He's dangerous in general, and voting, in my opinion, is about getting him out of office. The Biden ticket is only slightly better. We have to do our due diligence and hold our people accountable. It's all lies. Hashtag stay woke. Thank you guys so much for chiming into the conversation. Well, listen, if there's something to be distracted from, perhaps it is the state of our next Supreme Court justice, unfortunately, because we had a lot of hearings this week and Democrats, quite frankly, are worried and it is showing. Uh, quite a week at the Senate hearings for potential justice Amy Coney Barrett. While her confirmation is all but promised by Republicans who control the Senate, Dems took this time to start fights that they know they're in for with only a long shot. Some heavily contested topics included her stance on abortion rights as a conservative and pardoning Trump. However, none were as prominent as health care. Barrett met Democratic position with what some are calling a sliver of hope and some are calling a joke. She expressed no animus towards Obama's signature effort, the Affordable Care Act, 
that Republicans can't wait to strip. And she even suggested that the ACA might be able to withstand a challenge from the Trump administration. So basically, we haven't heard too much about what her potential stances may be. Because she's all but formally confirmed, and Dems still can't get clear promises they'd need to protect our rights, there has been one interesting plan resurging from our ghosts of SCOTUS's past called court packing. Now, court packing is the term for adding more justices to the Supreme Court, a process that Dems may or may not start looking toward in order to advance and keep progressive policies. Now, this was first introduced by FDR in 1937 and was an effort to get more New Deal laws passed during the Depression. It was wildly unpopular, not only by the Supreme Court, didn't see opposition, but from the public and Congress as well. Now, Biden has condemned it in the past, seeing as it is usually politically motivated for unpopular legal proceedings. And he's also used it to accuse Republicans in rushing to get a confirmation for Amy Coney Barrett, which technically is not the correct use of the term. But during Thursday's town hall, Biden evaded giving a clear answer on his views on it, which led some to worry that he might actually be open to attempting this. He promises a clear answer when the moment of truth arrives, when we have a final answer from the Senate on her nomination to the SCOTUS. Stanley, is this something that us young progressives should be getting hopeful for? About Biden court packing? Um, yeah. And it's not necessarily court packing. So a quick little fun history fact. When the founding fathers, um, the bunch of racist white men who were building the Constitution, were thinking about the Supreme Court, they picked nine seats. The reason they did that was because there were nine district courts. There are now 13. So if Democrats came in and added a Supreme Court seat for every additional district court, it wouldn't be court packing. It would just be updating. And it'd be the right thing to do and the smart thing to do. And the fact of the matter is, is the, if you want to talk about court packing, Republicans are the ones who have been doing it. They have literally been putting white supremacists in district court seats and in court seats all across the country. Folks who have negative reviews from the American Bar Association, folks who have never actually practiced law, folks who are literally working with white supremacist groups. So even though Biden is undecided on court packing and says he'll have an answer, I hope that he is very much interested in expanding it to at least 13 seats. Honestly, Selena, do you think this is false hope, like false hope, or do you think Biden is genuinely racking his brain to see what he can do to stop a conservative SCOTUS? Look, I, I would say I, I think he's still mulling over the issue. Uh, Kamala Harris also avoided talking about court packing, which is a derogatory term, um, during the, the vice presidential debate. Honestly, I, I'm not too focused on it. I think that uh, you know it, it's only going to happen if. Biden wins the election, and then if we actually win the Senate. So we're, it's like a complete hypothetical. I'm happy that we are considering different alternatives, but it's just so far in the future. Um, I think that what our Senate and elected officials need to be focusing on, if you ask me, is making sure that people um, can survive during a pandemic. I mean, you know, they have not passed uh, more relief. Uh, financially. And the, to me, obviously, we know the Trump administration is exasperating this pandemic. So I, I'm like, look, they're, they're, they're jamming in Amy uh, Barrett Coney, uh, forcing forcing her in days before the election, which is unprecedented. And it's unmoral, like it's immoral. I, I, it's just something that I don't think, I think it's almost like a distraction to even be having these conversations and to be focused on her at this time. Kwame, what are, what are your thoughts on the, the issue? You know, I think that this is basic math, right? So basically, we're talking about uh, uh, one judge versus nine. Instead, we could be talking about one judge versus 12. So you expand the size of the denominator and you, you basically minimize or dilute the power of one person who joins that, that pool of people. And what we have to understand also is that the Supreme Court hasn't always been nine justices. Sometimes it's actually been more in the past. And so there's no legal precedent that says, or legal law that says it has to be nine. Um, I do think that it's a bold political move. And I think we're in the age that politics has become nuclear. There are no more conventional exchanges in politics. Everything has to go to the nuclear option. Obama was denied his ability to place his judge, which he could have done while the um, Senate was in recession. 
but he didn't do it for fear of, you know, not making friends and not, you know, having the right political alliances going forward. Now we're in a situation where uh, we have another chance to possibly strike if the Democrats control the Senate. Uh, the House, as well as the presidency. And I think to expand the court is a good option because it's going gonna, it's gonna to dilute the power of an Amy Coney Barrett who believes, one case I think she ruled, where essentially using the N-word uh, in the workplace is not creating a toxic environment that in, in the job place where you work. So anybody who believes that doesn't really have the Black agenda um, on their side to begin with. So if we can expand the number of folks on the court and bring in more opinions, more Sonia Sotomayor's, more, um, you know, uh, Elena Kagan's to understand that this America is a diverse experiment that we all need to have a say in. So I'm all for expanding the judges on the court um, if the Democrats control all three houses. Um, I would definitely tend to agree. I know we are getting some more comments on the issue. Ultra Magnetic MD says Coney Barrett is ignorant to the issues of race and inequality, but so are most American institutions. We must remain focused on policies that plant roots, that plant roots and offer results for economic opportunities and gain. We have a 100 to 1 household wealth gap, white versus black. This is just one example. Thank you so much. I definitely agree with that one. I just want to respond to this real quick. Amy Coney Barrett is not ignorant to this. She knows exactly what she's doing. This is not, this is not an accident. And one of the reasons we have a hundred to one um, wealth gap between black people and white people. So at the moment, the average wealth of a white family is about 150,000. The average wealth of a black family is about 6,000. And it's projected to go to zero by the year 2025. The reason we have that is because of white people like Amy Coney Barrett in power who go out of their way to support policies that undermine black ownership. So Amy Coney Barrett is not ignorant. And it, and if you really want to focus on those things, you really do have to focus on, on stopping people like her from getting into positions of power. Yeah, I'll add to that and just say that Amy Coney Barrett is vetted by something called the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society basically is a screening organization for conservative judges. They, they start tracking people in law school, they move to the federal bench, and then basically they create a short list of true hard right conservatives that then can be nominated to the Supreme Court. So we have to do a better job on our side of the house to start our own um, pipeline for people who have progressive views, who can be more inclusive for America. And I totally agree that it's not by mistake it is malicious. Um, Liz Plank, another great political commentator, said that, you know, never underestimate the power of a white woman to take her small, small morsel of freedom that came from mm. feminism to basically deny it to other women in the in the workplace. And so, you know, we have to understand who Amy Coney Barrett is. We have to work actively against her and we have to create a pipeline of progressive judges uh, and not be afraid to use the nuclear option to expand the court and actually bring more progressive views onto the um, system. Kwame, I really, really appreciate your perspective on this because to respond to some of the haters in the comments, you know, this move nominating her was them fighting for their rights. And this, this looks like an option where we could clap back. Yeah. And it's important for us to do this to protect our rights and, and honestly, our people. Um, we consider ourselves progressives here on the show. And so if we have to defend our policies by pulling up some crazy scheme, then that's what we're going to advocate, all right? Um, unfortunately, we are out of time for the news roundup. If you want to hear more about what's happening this week, follow us at Be Heard Talk. Finally, we get to our main topic, so I'm going to pass it over to Selena Hill. Thank you so much for joining us, y'all. Sorry about that. I was on mute. No, thank you so much for that, Tammy. And again, keep the comments coming. We love to hear your responses and feedback, but we are going to switch gears a little bit because the Black vote is a crucial demographic in the 2020 election. And the 2020 election just happens to be weeks away. Surprisingly, recent polls have found that Trump actually has more support from Black men now than he did in 2016. According to Nationscape, 17% of black men support Trump now compared to 14% four years ago. 
The Pew Research Center also found that black men are less likely than black women to identify as Democrats. As a result, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are trying to court black men to cast ballots in their favor by showing what specifically is in it for these disaffected voters. But why do any black men think Trump would be more beneficial than Biden? And just to be clear, it's a minority, yet a politically significant number of black men who feel this way. Well, one might say, let's look to Ice Cube, who went from NWA to MAGA. So says his critics. Uh, it was recently revealed that he advised President Trump on the Platinum Plan, which is a Trump administration initiative to help Black Americans. Many of us were very surprised since Cube has been a vocal critic of Trump, white supremacy, and racism in the past. So in response to the public backlash he received on social media, Ice Cube clarified that his meeting with Donald Trump was not an endorsement, but rather an olive branch to discuss his contract with Black America, which is a series of policies to address racial inequality. Ice Cube, however, is just one high profile Black man we've seen reach across the aisle. We've also seen Kanye West praise Trump and um, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron cape for Trump and the Republican Party. So the question we'll be asking for the remainder of the show is how can we get black men to show up to the polls in 2020 and stand on the right side of history? Now, as I mentioned, many of us were shocked to learn Ice Cube basically agreed to act as this independent advisor on behalf of all black people. I want to throw this first question at you, Kwame. What was your reaction to the news that Ice Cube advised President Trump on the platinum plan? You know, it really hurt my heart. And I'm somebody who grew up, you know, in high school and college rock in America, KKK that, you know, Ice Cube put out. I'm somebody who grew up in NWA in the height of height of hip hop. And I know where he stand, where he stood historically. And for me, seeing Ice Cube in that position to be used was just so disappointing. Um, you know, I'm not going to throw him under the bus as an individual because I know he has a long legacy of, of fighting for black people, but he was really manipulated into that, you know, PR spin so that they could use his face to basically, you know, get to activate some black people into their, into their camp. And so seeing Ice Cube in that role just really, really hurt my heart. And I feel like it's disappointing because when I think about it, you know, I, I think back to World War II and I say, you know, you don't work with the Nazis just because they temporarily occupy France. You don't do that. You're not a you're not a sympathizer. You're not somebody from, you know, the the Vichy French regime regime trying to help and, and collaborate with a regime that, you know, at its heart is is really evil and pernicious towards black people. And, you know, you might be able to collaborate with the president, Mitt Romney. You might be able to collaborate with the president, John McCain, someone who's a little bit more moderate that you might not agree on every principle, but you can find a, a common ground and a, and a common purpose towards working towards compromise. But with the Trump administration, you already know that they're using you as a vehicle to basically spin a story or get a few more points of African-American votes. And that's disappointing to know that you're going to be manipulated like that and to go in and kind of fall for the okie doke. So that, that, that hurt my heart. Selena, you were on mute. Selena's yeah, I couldn't phone. hear you, Selena. You were on mute. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Thank you so much for that. I want to say that Flexington Steel says we need. Oh, hold on. Not that's not the comment I wanted. There, here it is. He wanted to be heard and express his plan. So he's talking about Ice Cube. Um, so Stanley, I wanted to get um, not only your response to that because there are some people who've been siding with Ice Cube, and you know, in response, Ice Cube said, "Look." I don't mind, you know, he inferred that he doesn't mind being called a sellout. He tweeted, when I got bus to school, homies called me a sellout. When I started rapping in 1983, bangers called me a sellout. When I left NWA, they called me a sellout. When I started movies, rappers called me a sellout, etc. Stanley, is Ice Cube selling out or is he just standing up for what he believes in? He's not selling out, but he's grossly uninformed and doesn't understand how the process works, and it's very obvious. So a couple of things. It's okay to have a, an agenda for black voters, but where were you during the primaries when there were 11 Democratic candidates and Trump didn't even have a primary because Republicans refused to let anyone on the ballot? Where was Ice Cube then? 
that's the big question I have. That's question one. Question two, who did he pass this through? As someone who does this work actually for a living, that works on policy that supports and improves the lives of black people and works with people who think about this all the time, I can tell you he didn't talk to anyone. And then it became even more obvious he didn't talk to anyone or even look at his own plan or Trump's plan when on a Roland Martin show, when Roland Martin asked him what part of his plan was added to the Trump platinum plan, he couldn't answer because they didn't actually add anything on there. And if you look at the Trump Platinum Plan, which I'm happy to talk about, you'll see that the Trump Platinum Plan doesn't actually list anything it's going to do for black communities. It's just a bunch of fluff talk. So is he a sellout? No. Is he misinformed? Absolutely. Was he used by the Trump administration? 100%. And now he's trying to be wrong and strong, and it's embarrassing for him. And, and so, Stanley, like, can I jump in and just say there's a yeah, term was- in disinformation called useful idiot. And that mm-hmm. is somebody who basically doesn't even know that they're caught up in the system and being used to change the propaganda and change the story. And so, like I said, I don't think that Ice Cube is a sellout either, but I do think he's unfortunately being used as a useful idiot. Yeah. Nadia Stevens left a comment. She says via Facebook, I think Ice Cube is full of ish. If he was really trying to create a black agenda, he would have met with 45 right after he was elected. He's going to wait three weeks before an election to assist an incumbent who is dangerous for us. He's allowing himself to be a dog whistle to a black man to support Trump. Thank you so much for that comment, um, Nadia. Uh, Tammy, I definitely want to get your voice in here. Do you agree? Do you think, Tammy, it was inappropriate for Ice Cube to meet with the Trump administration? Dude, shout out to Nadia. Your comment is so on point. And like, I am unsurprised, unimpressed. It was totally inappropriate and arguably a little bit ridiculous. Like, no offense to the kings on this show right now, but I'm so tired of trifling black men who are high on like a crumb of power called the patriarchy that steps over the work that people have been doing for decades in order to get a little teeny bit of clout and recognition. The saddest part is that I would respect Ice Cube for going to a harmful candidate that may continue uh, to be president of the United States. Like I would respect that because it shows initiative. It shows that he cares about his community. But the fact that, like Stanley said, he didn't consult with anyone who's been doing this work. He didn't talk to anyone who would actually know enough about Black policies and what is currently in place and how to move them forward. The fact that he did none of his homework and just bulldozed up in there with his, I guess, clout and his money and his Blackness is just so superficial and ridiculous to me. And like Nadia said, it's, you know, it's dangerous. This guy is harmful to us. This is not an incumbent that can be sort of played with lightly. Like Ice Cube is going in with no experience, no knowledge. And yes, he is a useful idiot. Thank you for that, Tammy. You know, I would say I was definitely shocked as well um, because I don't, he admitted that he just started getting into politics a few months ago. And because he was unaware of all the work being done on the ground, a part of a Black Lives Matter broader movement to, to make sure that our voices are represented and our interests are being met. Um, you know, he was just like, I'm going to create this and advise with, he said, ADOS, um, which, you know, Look, there's just way more credible people, I think, on the ground who are organizing and doing work. Um, so, so that was my response. But I do want to just uh, break it down and bring it back to you, Stanley, because what is in Trump's platinum plan? And will it actually benefit Black Americans? Thank you, Selena. So first, I'm just going to clarify, ADOS stands for American Descendants of, Af- of Slaves. So anyone who was born in America and who has ancestors who control the the slave trade in, in American soil, that's what they're talking about. So someone like myself, a Haitian American, would not be considered an ADOS because I'm Caribbean. Um, the Trump Platinum Plan. So let me give you a couple of bullets from the plan. Seek infrastructure funding that will lead to widespread growth in the annual $500 billion federal contracting opportunities. Grow minority-owned businesses with additional tax cuts to stimulate hiring and investment. Encourage offshore and development of domestic manufacturing to increase supply chain businesses, development, 
and employment. So those are a couple of things that I just want to like highlight real quick. So one, $500 billion is not a lot of to black people. That's $500 billion fund that we have for infrastructure generally. They don't even promise a percentage of that money going specifically to black manufacturers or black construction companies. So it's just vague talk. Then they talk about offshore. They're talking about off offshore drilling so you can drill in the ocean looking for oil. Once again, does not explicitly help black people and does explicitly damage our environment and damage our oceans. Nothing in the Trump Platinum Plan actually does anything for black people. They promised to make Juneteenth a national holiday, as Roland Martin mentioned on his show a couple of days ago. Repu he could have done it already. Republicans blocked the bill from getting passed. They could have passed the bill to do a study on reparations. Once again, Republicans blocked that vote from passing. Stanley, yes. run that back. We're having a hard time hearing. Just repeat the last sentence. Sure. So like I was saying before, they could have they could have passed a bill to make reparations a study. They didn't do that. Republicans blocked it, and Trump didn't do anything to stop them. If they could have made lynching a federal offense, once again, Republicans blocked that law, and Trump didn't do anything about it. The fact of the matter is, if you actually look into Trump's platinum plan, it's a, a whole bunch of empty talk. It doesn't actually promise any clear deliverables for Black people whatsoever. And the things that he says he could do that look tangible, he could have been doing all four years and he refused to do it. Even the First Step Act was a bill that was written by the Democratic Party and Republicans refused, refused right. to consider Absolutely. it. And then when Trump yeah. took the power, they picked it up again and put it under a, a Republican sponsor and it watered it down so that it could be passed. So we actually have a lot of, you know, Trump supporters in the comments, um, you know, based on that description, Stanley, I mean, it's clear the, the Trump platinum plan to me is masking as a, a, a fake uh, a attempt to pander to the black community. Uh, but somehow, you know, it, it's working. At least it's at least it's helping him build appeal with black men. Kwame, I want to get you to chime in because you worked under and for Donald Trump, well, you were on The Apprentice, you were actually the runner, the winner up. Um, what is it that, that about Donald Trump that appeals to a demographic which would not benefit from him in another four years and has not really benefited in the last four years? What'd you say, uh, Kwame? Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure my mic was unmuted. You can hear yes. me? Okay, um, a couple of things. One, I think that when a lot of black men, well, I won't say a lot, I will say the 15% the that, you know, maybe misguided voters for him. I think when they see um, Trump, they see that celebrity, they see that image of a quote unquote rich person that, you know, Main Street looks at and it resonates with them. But, you know, when people look at it from a, a different perspective, we know that it's an empty promise. We see that, you know, the, the emperor has no clothes. Um, and I think people see that as something aspirational. They see that as that, that machismo appeal, the quote unquote tough guy who never served a day in the military, whose family has never served in any of the American wars or, or commitments to service in this country. Um, they see that false tough guy, that false bravado, and a lot of brothers that, reg that registers with them. Um, I don't make any excuses for it. I think it's sad. And I do think that we're always going to have a percentage of of black men who are going to be misguided, who are going to be, you know, trying to cozy up to people who don't have their best interests at heart. And once again, that's something that we have to work to educate, to change. We have to understand that people need to know that people like Trump are not for us. They're not for, for what our agenda is. They're not for advancing black people. And they don't personally have, you know, our best interests at heart. And so I think that's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's talks in the barbershop. That's talks at the fish fry. That's, you know, really understanding, you know, brothers on a one-on-one -on -one level to see if you can slowly convince them to understand, you know, this is not where we need to be. You know, um, you know, based off of, you know, what you guys said, I just want to echo that with some more statistics. According to Pew Research statistics, 64% of eligible Black women voters cast ballots in the 2016. 2016 election compared to only 54% of eligible black men. Um, Tammy, is this the fault of the Democratic Party for taking black men for granted? 
or black men simply not staying engaged in politics enough to influence the party's policies because they feel disenfranchised? Well, see, that's that's a good question. And it's really interesting because as you know, the person on the show that is, I think, arguably most anti-Democrat, I do think it's partially the fault of the Democratic Party. I think Democrats have long taken the Black vote for granted. And because Black women stand to lose more, um, stand to have more sort of beef with Republican parties, they have always consistently remained in line with the Democratic Party. However, in the wake of what is happening to Black men, Democrats not giving us what we've needed throughout the primary, throughout the election cycle, that is partially what's causing black men to look for more. But I also do think that there's an issue where you can't just go running to the only alternative that you see on the table. It's like if you burn your hand and then you decide to like hit it, that doesn't fix the burn. It makes things arguably worse. Um, one of the comments that we got from LinkedIn is from Errol Jones. He says, didn't you see Cube's explanation of how both parties responded to his plan? I love your passion, but it is misdirected. No, it's not misdirected because Ice Cube is a really rich millionaire with a huge following. And so regardless of if the Democrats told him to wait or the Democrats did not engage him, as a celebrity, he has a responsibility to be well-informed, do his homework, and actually work with the people doing this work. It's not okay that just because the Democrats didn't pick up his plan, he runs to the first sort of psychopath that would listen to him. And furthermore, Trump is literally just doing this to get the black vote that he knows he will not get anyway. So it just further divides the black vote and makes it harder for Democrats to actually fight for us in this cycle. So, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Either way, he was so wrong for doing this and he's making a huge mess within the black male voting demographic. Well, great point, uh, Tammy. I mean, Stanley, that being said, and, and you also did a great job in highlighting how the, pl the platinum plan is not for us, but I want to get your take. What is it that appeals to black men? Why is, why is Trump still have this grasp on this minority, but again, very politically important sector of black men? Sure. Um, so first I just want to say that for the record, the congressional black caucus actually has been for black voters that they gave to Trump in his first year in office. And it's significantly better than Ice Cube's contract with Black America. It actually goes much further. So Ice Cube didn't even talk to the people who are elected in office trying to put policy together. Um, as for why Black men um, or so many Black men seem to be supporting Donald Trump, well, the fact of the matter is what Republicans seem to not understand is that a lot of Black people are actually socially conservative, particularly Black men who align with the Republicans on immigration and think that we should be deporting more people because they honestly believe that undocumented people are taking their jobs. They are wrong, but they do believe that. So black male voters, um, too many of them, unfortunately, tend to track with white male voters. And that's where you've seen that increase come from. That's not to say that the Democratic Party is not responsible for not prioritizing and taking care of black voters. They definitely are responsible for that. But the fact of the matter is like they tend to trend conservative. If you look in Florida, when um, Andrew Gillum ran for, for governor, he lost the black woman vote to Ron DeSantis. 18%, well, pardon me, he didn't lose it, but 18% of black women voted for Ron DeSantis in the Florida governor race. When you looked at those numbers, what you saw was those are Haitian black women who are more likely to be Catholic, who are more likely to be conservative, who are more likely to support a pro-life agenda. So when you're talking about like black voters, you have to come to the fact that we all aren't just quote unquote progressive crazy lefties as one. And two, black male voters, a lot of times tend to track with white male voters. Great points. Thank you again for that. Um, Kwame, well, you know, that being said, what would it take to galvanize black men to the polls and not only to vote, but to stand on the right side of history? Let me, let me share some really important statistics that I got from an NPHC, National Panhellenic Council, from all of the Divine Nine fraternity presidents, and particularly from uh, the president of Cap Alpha Psi, um, Attorney Reuben Shelton. 
he shared a couple key things. In 2016, in these states, this is the numbers that were decided by votes. So 113,000 votes decided the 2016 election in, in Florida and 379,000 blacks did not vote in Miami alone. In, in Michigan, 11,000 votes decided the 2016 election. In Detroit, 277,000 blacks did not vote alone. 44,000 votes decided the, vote, the uh, election in Pennsylvania. In Philly alone, 238,000 blacks didn't vote. In Georgia, 211,000 votes decided the Georgia election. And uh, in Atlanta alone, 530,000 blacks did not vote. And then lastly, in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, 23,000 people uh, decided the election in Wisconsin and 93,000 blacks in w Milwaukee alone did not vote. So if you look at those numbers, you see the power on the margin that we have to really move the polls. So when I think to brothers about why they should vote, it's not just that our ancestors died so that we could have an opportunity to be at the poll. You know, I go out here and I said this just the other day. I voted in my swing state, North Carolina, Charlotte, my hometown. And I told everybody on social media, I voted for Breonna Taylor today. I voted for George Floyd today. I voted for Trayvon Martin today. So if we think about the people who are dying right now in front of us, we don't even have to hearken back to our ancestors to know that we have the houses on fire and we have to put that out through our vote. And the voting part is only one piece of the agenda. You know, I look at it as a car, right? It has four wheels. You've got economic empowerment, you've got education, you've got voting, and you've got protests. And so each one of those wheels helps get us where we need to go in the car but essentially voting without it, you know, the car is not going to go. So we have to turn out. We have to understand our power on the margins and that every vote counts. Absolutely. So Errol Jones chimed in from LinkedIn. He says, once again, black men are regulated to wait until you wait until we allow you to act. Black men need to reject both parties as a group, formulate our own agenda and let the negotiation for our votes begin. This is a very uh, interesting perspective. I want to get Tammy to chime in because Tammy, do you agree? Yes, honestly, yes. And I'm so disappointed with this election cycle because literally the Democrats took our votes for granted. They just assumed that we would vote Democrat no matter what BS they gave us. And here we have Sleepy Joe and a lack of a plan for BLM and moving forward. So I agree. However, however, I don't think it's okay for like singular individuals to step up with shoddy plans and not to corroborate with people who have been doing this work for years. This is what's gonna hold the black vote back and, and what takes us for granted every time. We're not cohesive. We're not cohesive as a group at all. Honestly, all of us need to do our homework and our research first on the Democratic Party and what's going on in the state of affairs currently, formulate a plan, and then actually work together to get that done. It's not gonna be done by some rich black man stepping forward and acting foolish. Well, in response to that, Nathaniel Evans chimed in on Facebook. He says rejecting both parties enables Trump. Stanley, I want to get your response as a black man. Uh, where do you stand? Because we know this is a group of disaffected voters. Uh, what would get black men to come to the polls and again, stand up on the right side of history? The safety and protection of black women should be enough, honestly. And the reason you see is a small percentage of black men who are supporting Trump is because that's a percentage of black men who obviously see homophobia, um, um, xenophobia and Islamophobia as more important than black women and black liberation. And that's okay because we're not all gonna agree with everybody on all the issues. But I just wanna point out, and I wanna push back on Tammy just slightly, is like we can't ignore the fact that Joe Biden overwhelmingly won the black vote. The black vote is what helped him win the primary against Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg and all those other folks. They did vote. We probably didn't vote for Biden, and we wouldn't vote for Biden, but the young black folks who tend to be more Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders, they didn't vote in high enough numbers. As far as this small group of black men, that the Democratic Party. Hold on, Stanley, run that back. We're having a hard time hearing you. I'm sorry. As far as the black men who seem to think that we can't trust the Democratic Party and we should vote for Donald Trump or consider him, 
if you dig into the issues that they really care about, I think it's pretty clear. A lot of them are talking about Eidos. A lot of them are in this chat right now, disavowing myself and Kwame because we are not over-talking these two black women. A lot of them are questioning my ability to have a conversation in this chat because I am of Haitian lineage and I'm not Eidos. A lot of them are probably homophobic. A lot of them have not read Ice Cube's plan or Biden's plan or Trump's plan or even the Congressional Black Caucus's plan. So they have a very right wing, very nihilistic point of view about politics. And, you know, they can have that, but I don't want to consider them into this process. Mm. Um, well, Tammy, you know, I'm asking the question of what would motivate black men to the polls. But what would motivate you to the polls? Because, you know, I don't want to just generalize. There are some other people who, you know, obviously lean left and have not felt motivated or excited about voting for Biden? Well, you know, I'm not a man, but I do sort of relate to this conundrum that I feel like a lot of black men are echoing in the chats, which is what motivates us to the polls. I think both black men, I'm not speaking for you, shout out if I'm wrong, and progressives like myself want is attention. What, you know, Errol Jones touched upon is that basically we need to dictate what we want as a voting demographic, a voting block, and then see that reflected in a candidate, and then we will vote for them. I think the frustration with both Democrats and Republicans is that they aren't doing enough to incorporate ideas that were once sort of fringe or extreme into mainstream public policy. I think, honestly, if you want to get black men to the polls, ask black men what they need. And if you want to get progressives like me to the polls, ask us what we need. And in both cases, deliver. Adapting policies and adapting your plans to suit a black agenda, a progressive agenda, is ultimately what will get you the black and progressive vote. Well, you know, Kwame, we are bringing this conversation to an end, but I want to give you a last word in response to Tammy, who says, access what we need. As a black man, brother, what is it that you need and many of our brothers need to run to these polls? I think we have to connect the dots. And what I mean by that is I think the disaffected black men who are pushing for Trump, the 10 to 15 percent, need to see that there's not that political reality disconnect. They need to see that the policies that the Democrats will enact actually affect their lives around criminal justice reform, around economic advancement and opportunities, around student debt relief, around all the things that we're looking for as a people, and even the bigger bucket of reparations. We haven't had a single discussion around that and how important that is to finally level the playing field between African-Americans and um, um, white Americans here in our society. So I think if we can bridge the dots and, and, and kind of disavow that political disconnect to reality, people will turn out and see that this affects my life. This affects the things that I care about. This affects the local district attorney that's making, you know, uh, prosecution decisions around Breonna Taylor or Trayvon Martin or any of those kinds of things. And we need to push to make sure that our voices are heard. You know, there's a saying that says, not voting is voting. So we have to realize that we can't disavow both parties. We have to be at the table or we're going to be on the menu. Mm. Thank you so much for that. And I'll just end by saying, you know, our lives are on the line. This is one of the most, this is literally the most crucial election in my lifetime. And if we're not showing up and voting, then believe me, the decisions about how we live our lives and how and what goes on in our communities are going to be made for us. That's why it's so important for us to have a seat at the table this time around. Look, Donald Trump has failed in this pandemic. Not only has he exasperated it, but it's affecting our communities even more. And those are the facts. Those are the statistics. The Trump supporters in the chat, you cannot debate the facts. And frankly, if you ask me, who, you know, as an African-American woman, I'm not seeing how Donald Trump is supporting or helping me or speaks to me at all, nor my community. I'll be the first in line. And that's why I'm encouraging all of us to do the same thing, because we all it's time for us to get the equality that we need. And it's time for us to have a seat at the table. And if you ask me, this is the way to do it. So 
I'll have to just leave it there. I know that there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of debate, but we do have to close the show. I want to thank everyone who chimed in and tuned in to Beat Her Talk. I want to give a special thanks to our media sponsor, Black Enterprise. Definitely appreciate you. Um, all our folks over there. And Kwame Jackson, once again, thank you so much, Kwame, for joining us as our special guest. Uh, we appreciate you and your perspective. And we'll see everybody again next week. Take care. Y'all be good. Peace. Peace. Vote.